Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Bhudang dhammang sangang namasami Andrea mentioned it's the uh, <clears throat> observance day, Uposata day, today and all around the world in different places on this, this day. Of course, this day has passed some places, but it's a time when people go to meditation centers and nunneries and monasteries and other places and they take the precepts like we did this morning and And if they have the day free, they'll spend the day there doing service and making offerings and meditating and getting teachings. And sometimes on observance days in in some monasteries, people will stay up very late to to meditate till midnight or beyond, which you are welcome to do. And I was just feeling as I came into the hall, I had such a feeling of appreciation for you all and, and a sense of, uh, I don't know, kind of, you know, for the conditions to come together for us to spend this time on retreat. It might not strike us that often, but it's uh, rare to have this chance. And I just felt there's so much beauty in the hall. Maybe because I was appreciating the beauty. I know some of you, the Sunset Watchers Club that meets out here. <laughs> and I, I get to join. I'm an uh, honorary member, perhaps. The beauty has been so much of it this week. And tonight, the color was fantastic. And sometimes I think when we're on retreat, we think we shouldn't. We should somehow turn away from that beauty. Like, like somehow we're supposed to, to, to not open to it, or, or we might even be afraid of opening to beauty. So don't do that. Be very careful. It's good to let that in. It, it uplifts and refreshes the mind and heart, and especially maybe it's been a long day. Maybe it's been difficult in some ways. I've had a difficult day myself. But I was doing some walking meditation outside. And I just was feeling so contented. Nothing special, I was just walking back and forth. But this feeling of deep contentment arose unbidden for no good reason. That's the best kind. If you can feel contented for no good reason. 
Like there might be a lot of reasons to not be contented and then it's there anyway. It reminded me I was here 1992. Annie was here, I think. Were you here, Annie? Mel was here too, wasn't he? We were sitting the three-month retreat, early days. And my first time on the three-month retreat that year. And I'd only been meditating for a few months at all. But I remember sitting, I think I was in the dining room one time, and I felt this kind of same kind of contentment for no reason in particular. And it was this deep, I don't think I'd ever felt so contented in my life to date at that time. And, and it was just because I was, I don't know, I remember thinking I'd, I love to be able to live this carefully, as carefully as we do here with this much mindfulness. That that was the source of the contentment was living with that degree of care It's interesting to touch into contentment at times when there is no good reason for it or none of the usual things we think of as the reasons why we might feel contented. And it's such a rare thing in the world, isn't it? Have any of you felt contented here on this retreat? Maybe for no good reason. (laughs) Come on, get another few hands up. Or a little bit. That's good. I'm seeing a lot of hands. May may your contentment increase and grow great, especially when there's no good reason. It's said that after his enlightenment, his awakening experience, that the Buddha surveyed the, the world and had a vast kind of ability to a kind of vision that allowed him to really see in a broad, vast way and that he saw beings desperately trying to find happiness and doing the very things that caused them to suffer. And this was an aspect of the the motivation for him to teach. Now this, this... Karuna, Mahakaruna, great compassion arising. He had to be persuaded a little bit too. A Brahma deity had to come down and give him a little little poke. But it's so poignant, you know, this reflection. And if the Buddha were here again in this time, now almost 2,600 years later, and again surveyed the world, he'd see the same thing playing out. And all of the nonsense and shenanigans that we get up to as a species, we get up to some weird stuff. And some of it's not leading us in a good direction very clearly, isn't it? But it's a reflection of this same energy, this, this movement of heart wanting to find happiness, contentment. Even people who do things that seem like it's just causing themselves and others to suffer. There's just so much confusion about where to 
look, how to look. And, and reflecting on this is so poignant. It can open our hearts to compassion for the confusion and in the minds of beings who want to be happy. And it's a beautiful, inherently beautiful, lovable wish to be happy. And we can connect to that to touch into um, the connection of metta. You know, just as I wish to be happy. And maybe we use a different word, at ease or peaceful, contented, feeling fulfilled or whole somehow. You know, we use that reflection to, to generate and help touch the quality of metta, of, of this goodwill. Inherently beautiful wish and something just all beings are, 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 are worthy of that. But there's so much confusion about where to find it. And if we have committed to walking this path for the long haul, then I think it's probably become clear to us that the kind of happiness we're interested in, that we're seeking, it's not just to be a little more comfortable or or something kind of fleeting. We're looking for a deeper kind of happiness, a kind of happiness that's more unshakable. Like the kind of contentment I was experiencing. It, it was not because of the conditions, particularly. I had a rough day and a rougher night last night. Really difficult. But still this this deep kind of happiness was there. I didn't need anything to be different. I was thinking it would be a good time to die right then. <laughs> and the mind at ease and some collectedness of mind and, and balanced and that would be a really good time. <laughs> My colleagues might have been upset because one of them would have had to give the talk. <laughs> My partner would have been mad at me. But otherwise, the conditions were good. <laughs> the Buddha spoke about the path leading to this kind of deep peace. But he spoke about it in terms of freedom from suffering. And he said, I teach one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. And he talked about it in terms of the liberation of beings from this endless wandering on, this turning of the wheel of samsara in search of peace, happiness, contentment, ease. But this, but, but confusion and, and just rolling on, looking in the wrong place. If we look in the wrong place, we're not likely to find it, are we? And it just rolls on and on. And so whether we see this within one lifetime, one day on retreat, <laughs> pushing that wheel around. But here at least we're, we're rolling in a good direction, I think. <laughs> Maybe heading towards something that will actually be a good place to look, looking, starting to look in the right direction. What a blessing. 
Do you feel the blessing of that? There's so much confusion these days in the world. To have somehow, by the grace of God or your good karma or whatever, to have come upon something that might actually lead to real peace, happiness, and then have the ability to actually hear and put these teachings into practice. Do you feel the goodness and blessing of that? I don't care how good you think you're doing at it. You can feel like a complete failure, but you are blessed, deeply blessed. Let that in. It speaks to some real goodness in you that I can see so easily, and you're much closer to it than I am. You should feel it. Let it in. Turn your mind in that. Turn your mind towards it sometimes. This is the opening part, the opening verse of the, you know, we've referred to the Satipatthana Sutta, this uh, core uh, teaching that is our main instruction for meditation practice. Satipatthana, the establishments of mindfulness. This is the opening verse. Bhikkhus, we'll translate that as practitioners. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana. Namely, this practice of the Satipatthanas. Maybe that sounds kind of good. But it also might lead to some confusion. I mean, what does it mean? The surmounting of sorrow and lamentation. The disappearance of pain and grief. Does it mean that I'll never feel painful feelings? <laughs> Is that what, does that mean that? Or... I won't ever feel sadness or grief, sorrow. What's the purification of beings? Is that when you hear the words purification of beings, what what arises in your mind? Does that sound good? Weird? Does it mean you're not pure and you need to get all pured up somehow? <laughs> What's, where, how does that land for you? No, really. Does it, is it, does it just seem like some archaic old language? What's the true way? What is Nibbana? Does that have any meaning? Is it, what, is it a state of mind? Or some place? Heaven? What is, what is Nibbana? That's the, the Pali version of Nirvana is Sanskrit. I mean, you know, Nirvana is on the commercials. It's on the TV. And, or, you know, labels. It's probably a perfume or something called that. <laughs> I don't think it's about that. What, what's up with that? Does it have any meaning? Do you turn, does it, does your mind shut down when you hear that word? Nibbana, realizing Nibbana, that doesn't mean anything. That's some old thing. Or 
Does it have any resonance? You know, maybe we ex- we think of a state or a situation or something where where we only have ex- pleasant feelings or it's only the way we like it to be. Or maybe we imagine it's some kind of state or experience where we don't experience any kind of feelings at all, pleasant or unpleasant. Some kind of numbness that's but maybe it's kind of a good numbness or detachment so removed from the world that we're not touched by life don't feel anything but that's not the goal or the result of this practice and the buddha didn't exist in a state of numbness or such detachment that he was no longer touched by the world or life So I think when we hear statements like, like that one, the opening verse of the Satipatthana, that we get some kind of real and practical sense of what it might mean. Because it can sound like just too abstract or far-fetched or impossible or just no, no real resonance for our life and what we, how we spent today and all the ups and downs of that. This practice doesn't offer us a, some way or to escape life or some state where we aren't touched by life or don't feel anything anymore or, or get some kind of control over conditions so it's only a particular way. If you think you're going to get that, I, I'm going to try to disabuse you of that notion. We're not, it's not an advanced course in getting, gaining control over conditions. Oh, Buddha didn't get it. We don't get that. So then what are we, what are we doing? You know, there's a different kind of freedom peace here. That's a kind of independence, but it's right in life. It's even closer to it. I started this talk with some, I don't know where I started. It wasn't written down here. But, (laughs) you know, this reflection on this, this movement of the heart towards happiness that that is there for all of us. But there's a lot of confusion about even what it is, let alone where to look for it. Happiness. So much confusion. And some really deep conditioning that's threaded into our perception, woven in there, and we don't see it, but the effect of it in our lives is profound. And so this is, this is part of this rolling on of the wheel of samsara, of endless, endless wandering. Because we, we want the happiness, <laughs> fulfillment, contentment, peace. Yeah, put your own word in there. And it's a beautiful wish. And we all deserve that. Or we're worthy of it. 
where to find it? I want to just talk about one place that the Buddha really emphasized that I think is a good place to explore this, at least in some ways, one way. There's all kinds of ways we might explore this. and Everything we're talking about is, is about this. <laughs> Pointing us towards something that might lead us to this, this kind of happiness and peace that's not dependent on the conditions being a certain way. But the, the second establishment of mindfulness, there's these four establishments of mindfulness. Mindfulness directed to the body. Mindfulness directed to what are called feelings, feeling tone, I'll translate it that way. Mindfulness directed to the mind and mindfulness directed to, to what are called dhammas, we could say certain kinds of ways to look at experience or, or patterns. And we'll, we'll talk about these things more. And you do not have to remember them. You don't have to do them. If you're being mindful, you're doing them. You don't have to do them. But this mindfulness, in the second one of these, Vedana, is usually has been translated as Feelings, and you know the, that's it's its whole one out of four is this one thing gets translated as feelings or sometimes sensation, but that's kind of confusing because of the word feeling in English, it can mean emotions and physical sensations and, and different things. It's a it's kind of a broad. You have to you have to narrow down that translation. And in Pali, it's very specific. We don't have an exact one-word translation. We've started using feeling tone a lot. That wasn't being used 30-some years ago. I don't know. When When did feeling tone start coming in? It's a while now. Andrea? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I like to ask my colleagues questions, and they're all trying to be all meditative and quiet. <laughs> And I'm giving the talk, and I like to bug them. <laughs> it's good for them. <laughs> it's more fun for me, anyway. And that's all I care about. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's probably a mistake for me to do walking meditation <laughs> before I come in here. <laughs> I get a little deranged, I think. <laughs> Let's see. It will be very interesting to see how much of this talk I get to. <laughs> hmm. Feeling tone. So everything we experience in every moment happening right now with every contact at the sense door, so the sound of my voice and the way that lands and feelings in your body right now with every moment of that contact, there is a feeling tone that is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither of those. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant, which we will use the word neutral for. At least I will some of the time. And that's arising with every contact. Over and over. 
constantly, continuously arising, arising, arising. It's happening right now. Often it's totally overlooked, not noticed at all. Or somehow it's assumed to be inherent in, in the, the experience or in the object of our <coughs> perception. But if, we, if we look at it, we'll see it's, we'll, we'll start to see what it really is. And it's not a fixed thing. It's not the same for any one of us at any time. It's very fluid. It's changeable. It's arising and passing quite quickly, shifting. So for example, if I ring this bell, did anyone feel, find that experience of hearing as pleasant? Did it, was it pleasant? few pleasants, neutral, kind of neither pleasant nor unpleasant, unpleasant, come on, there's one of you out there. <laughs> so, mostly either pleasant or neutral, but maybe sometime when you're sitting here in the hall and your mind has been screaming, ring the bell! <laughs> And that sound will be really pleasant. (laughs) It's the same sound. And we can think that the feeling tone and how we respond to it, so there's that feeling tone, but then there's a response to it. So usually if it's pleasant, there's liking or enjoying maybe a, a turning towards, a movement towards it. That's not weird. And if it's unpleasant, there's the opposite, usually a withdrawing from it, either trying to get the unpleasant away or get oneself away. If it's neutral, mostly we just don't notice at all. Or else, it's because it's not unpleasant, it's, it's pleasant. <laughs> Neutral can be kind of pleasant because it's not unpleasant. We don't, we don't see it. And we can think that those are, are the same thing, but they're not. And, and these processes in the mind happen very quickly. The contact, the feeling tone, the response in the heart, the mind to it, happens really quickly and it's happening over and over really fast. And so many, we're so sensitive we notice this on retreat, don't we? How sensitive we are. We're constantly touched through the body, through the hearing and seeing and smelling and tasting and bodily sensations in the mind. The constant, so walking sensitivities. And this feeling tone arising and passing over and over. So why did the Buddha stress this? Why is it Important. It gets its own thing. <laughs> One of four. And these four Satipatthanas, they include everything. There's nothing that's not in them. You don't, can't leave anything out. Practice would never be complete. 
Joseph Goldstein in his book Mindfulness says this, mindfulness of feeling tone, Vedana, is one of the master keys that unlocks the deepest patterns of our conditioning. And that's something we really are interested in here is understanding and seeing our deeply conditioned mental habits. Because it's through seeing these that we can start to release them. The ones that don't lead in in a good direction. And this is this movement towards the liberation that the Buddha spoke about was this freedom from our conditioning on one, that's one aspect of it, a big aspect of it. And Buddha made this distinction, which kind of, you know, lands a little weirdly sometimes about the, the uninstructed world thing <laughs> and the no, instructed noble disciple. We're going to put ourselves in the instructed noble disciple category, <laughs> even though some of the time we're uninstructed worldlings. But it's okay. But he said this, because practitioners, when the uninstructed worldling is contacted by a bodily painful feeling, they sorrow, grieve, and lament. They weep, beating their breast, and become distraught. They feel two feelings, a bodily one and a mental one. Now, weep, maybe, I haven't seen any weeping and tearing of hair and, and lamenting too loudly, but internally there's maybe been some major lamenting with the unpleasant bodily sensation. Has anyone had an unpleasant bodily sensation today? I've had like way more than my share of them, <laughs> it feels like. You know, they're part of the deal. We're not going to get to where we don't have those. If we have a body, sometimes... I mean, they're kind of inherently uncomfortable things. It's not like when you came here, you were issued a particularly uncomfortable body at the door and a weird mind. It was. It's the same uncomfortable body and weird mind you had before you started the retreat. But you know we're we're hanging out with it in a way. What was it? What was the thing about preferring a shock to hanging out with our <laughs> our uh, our own mind? <laughs> you know, it's we don't do this on a regular basis. <laughs> I mean, we do we do because we're weird. You know, we're we're strange meditating people. <laughs> But most people aren't doing it. So even though we may not, you know, weep and beat our breast, we do have this deep disappointment when there's an unpleasant bodily, it's like, oh. And sometimes internally it's like that, oh no, and this this dread and worry and, you know, real dukkha in the mind and the heart and, and Bruni brought up the, this image of uh, these two darts, you know. So the painful bodily sensation, if we take birth, we're going to get some of them. Even if we don't get very many, at some point, as the body ages and moves closer to the end of the life, there's going to be some in there. 
And some of us get a lot of them, more than our share it feels like at times. But in the Buddha's image here, then it's as though we got that dart, but then immediately there was another dart. This internal dart of resistance, reactivity, aversion. We can't avoid the first one, but the second one, there's some, that's somewhat discretionary. We don't see, we're, we're pulling back the bow and shooting it in ourselves in a certain way. And it's often a source of far greater suffering than the initial one. <clears throat> but that's not a given, that second arrow, that second dart. And this is where we have one of the areas that we have some, some room to maneuver. You could not maneuver. It's where wisdom can come to our aid and free us from that second dart to a great extent. So the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral feelings, that's, they're just a given. They're not a problem. And our goal is not to somehow make them stop happening. You know, after his enlightenment, the Buddha still experienced them. They're happening now, right now as we sit here. Maybe even notice them. Maybe the sound of my voice is just so irritating. I wish he'd shut up. <laughs> you have my permission to feel that way. <laughs> or maybe some, there's something, you know, that aching in your hip that's been there all day. But what we are interested in, where we have some possibility for freedom, what we're exploring here is, is this understanding of this process and finding a skillful way to relate to these feeling tones. Because our strategy, the strategy out there in the world so much in this movement trying to find happiness is this quest to string together as many pleasant feelings as possible in a row and to avoid as many unpleasant ones as possible. And that is an exhausting and endless task, doomed to failure. And, but we can see this, this push-pull towards pleasant, away from unpleasant. I mean, it's running the world out there to a great extent. And so much, you know, the whole world of advertising, you know, increase your desire for pleasant feelings is like seen as a really good thing. Want them the most of anyone and, the, and, and really try to get them. And there's nothing wrong with pleasant feelings. That's not what I'm saying. Do not ever hear that. But if, if, our, if our strategy is to try to get as many of those and try to avoid the unpleasant ones altogether, we're just setting ourselves up for a lot of work. And it's never going to be that fulfilling. It's, we can't do it. And, you know, we won't, if I ask you, that what you're after? No one's going to say yes. But look how we assess our life here on retreat and, and our, our meditation. You know, how often is a good sitting one where there's a higher percentage of pleasant feelings <laughs> and a bad one there's a higher percentage of unpleasant ones? Do we, we, we assess it that way so often. 
And we can, we, we're subtly or less so trying to aim, steer it that way. But, but, and as I said, we're not trying to somehow make pleasant feelings a problem. They're not. And we have to be careful that we don't become afraid of them or, or somehow turn away from them as though a pleasant feeling tone equals attachment and grasping and clinging. That's, that's hardens the heart. That's a, not a good skillful thing to do. And, and sometimes it's, we need to actually very intentionally turn towards the pleasant feelings. Sometimes that's really skillful. It can support the practice. It can support the deepening of concentration. There are times in our life, in this practice, when the painful and pleasant feelings seem to be, you know, really in, on a lot of those. And the mind and the heart can start to wither and, and become weary in, in the onslaught of unpleasant. We need to maybe seek out neutral and pleasant feelings to balance the whole system. So we're never to turn away from them out of some fear or aversion or something. But we need to be with them in a wise, balanced way. And this has profound consequences, not only for our own lives, but but for the world. You know, the Buddha stressed mindfulness of feelings for an important reason. Wars have probably been started because of someone's inability to be with an unpleasant feeling, a feeling of powerlessness or confusion and anger. Wars start in the minds of, of beings. They start sometimes in the mind of one being who can't be with an unpleasant feeling. I can't be with this feeling of confusion and powerlessness and frustration. I think I'll start a war and maybe that'll help. And, you know, that's not the thought process, but that's what's happening here, friends. (laughs) That is happening. That has happened really recently. This is not a small thing. Learning how to be with these things in a wise, skillful way is, is no small thing. And this is where the, the liberating power and potential of mindfulness shines forth. And feel it right now. And ask yourself the question, is there awareness and feel it right now. It's a, it's a small thing in a certain way, but it's, it's, it's profoundly powerful. You know, it's just there if we turn. It's there right now. We don't have to fabricate it or find it or grasp a hold of it. It's there now. It's there now in this moment. Simple. Seems so effortless sometimes. But it's this key, it opens the door. With mindfulness, all things are possible. Without it, nothing is possible. We're just living out our conditioning and turning that wheel that doesn't go anywhere. So, for one who abides, who has this connection to 
awareness and abides there, the instructed noble disciple. This is us in our more mindful moments. Then the experience with this contact and this changing flow of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, it's really different. So here I'm just I'm just focusing on this one aspect of, of in the words of the Buddha, he talked about this bodily bodily painful feelings and mental painful feelings also. He said, Bhikkhu is when the instructed noble disciple is contacted by a bodily painful feeling, they do not sorrow, grieve, and lament. They do not weep, beating their breast, and become distraught. They feel one feeling, a bodily unpleasant one but not the mental one. Suppose someone were to strike a person with a dart and then not strike them with a second dart. They would feel the, the feeling caused by the one dart only. And I think, you know, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty simple to see. And I think many, maybe most of us, maybe all of us have had this experience at times when mindfulness was present and we were there with our experience and there was no second dart. This is not way out far from our, our experience. We've, we've had that taste of that freedom there. When, when it's just that feeling and it doesn't have to go from there further into shaking our internal balance our well-being, it's not shaken or destroyed by that. It's okay, it's just a, an unpleasant feeling. And we get this taste of the freedom that the Buddha was pointing to. And we're fully present, we're connected, we're not numb, we're not dis- dis- detached from life in this not feeling anything. We're right there with this ceaseless flow of change. But there's this sense of of inner strength and balance and we're not so buffeted around by these these changes that are just coming over and over. There's a story that points to this in a striking way. I'll share with you. This is from the a story of the last days of Henry David Thoreau, who's a naturalist and natural philosopher here in this country, and uh, spent quite a bit of time, I don't know if he thought of it as being on retreat, but he was on retreat near a pond, closer to Boston now, Walden Pond. And he died uh, fairly young. He had tuberculosis. He had a lot of bodily painful feelings, I think, then and at other times. And his friend uh, Walter Harding wrote this, Henry was never affected, never reached by his illness. Very often I heard him tell his visitors that he enjoyed existence as well as ever. He remarked to me that there was as much comfort in perfect disease as in perfect health. The mind always conforming to the condition of the body. The thought of death, he said, could not begin to trouble him. During his long illness, I never heard a murmur escape him. 
or the slightest wish expressed to remain with us. His perfect contentment was truly wonderful. Some of his more orthodox friends and relatives tried to prepare him for death, but with little satisfaction to themselves. When his aunt Louisa asked him if he had made his peace with God, he answered, I did not know we had ever quarreled. (laughs) In this level of of balance of mind, this equanimity of this, at that level, and the, the resulting contentment, ease, peacefulness, the mind conforming to the condition of the body without struggle, resistance, might seem like a high bar and and maybe beyond anything we might ever aspire to. You know, abandoning these powerful tendencies towards reactivity of grasping and aversion. But we can, the mind can learn, we learn, it can be retrained. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddhas gave very simple, straightforward instructions. I love this. When feeling a pleasant feeling, one knows, I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one knows, I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neutral feeling, one knows, I feel a neutral feeling. This recognition of the feeling tone there. So there's no instruction. It doesn't say when feeling an unpleasant feeling tone, get all worked up about it and make it into a big problem and become unhappy and convince yourself that there's something wrong with you because you're having it. He didn't say that. But we do it inside. We do it internally. Notice what's going on and and get all bent out of shape about it. Get into struggle with your own mind and heart. And spend a lot of time convincing yourself that you're worthless. No. If you find yourself doing that, you are not following the instructions of the Buddha (laughs) or any of us. So just this simple connection to this experience, it's like this. So we can play with this over these days here. Don't make it into a project, but sometimes it's really, there's there's an opportunity to check it out. When, When the pleasant or unpleasantness, or maybe even the neutral is really clear and obvious. That contact at the sense bases, and we can notice the feeling tone. Let's just do it right now. I'm going to ring the bell again. Don't go looking for it, but see if there's a sense of the feeling tone of when this sound contacts the air door. Or just let your attention move through your body for a moment. Maybe pleasant or unpleasant or neutral feelings. They're there, whether we notice them or not. 
And we can notice our, our response to it. It's not like we're not trying to fix it or have it be different. We just want to see it. We just want to see the mind and the response. If the mind contacts an unpleasant and there's this feeling, oh no, it's just going to get worse, or how am I going to last, or I can't take it. You know, we just want to see that. And actually, the, the unpleasant feeling tone may be okay. It's the idea that it's going to continue. That's way harder to be with. So don't be with it. Just be with it right now. Don't be with it for the next five minutes or the rest of the day. Can't do that. But you can be with it right now. And then maybe there's something you can do that's skillful to relieve it. That's okay. But we can't escape from it altogether. So we just want to see what's happening. We want to understand these processes. We want to, it's like we just want to know more about our humanity and what it is, <laughs> this body and mind and the processes that are operating there that we don't take the time to look at in our just normal goings around. Most people have never even heard of Vedana <laughs> feeling done. What's that, you know? It's like it's not even a thing to, it's not there, but to, to actually look at it is, is amazing. So there may be times, and the tool of mental labeling can be really helpful, like if, especially maybe with unpleasant feelings, bodily feelings. If we turn towards and name oh, unpleasant, unpleasant, really unpleasant, sometimes if we have to be careful the tone of that note as we've been talking about. It's like, I'll be with this, so it'll stop, so it'll stop, so it'll change. That's maybe not so good, not so skillful, but sometimes it's just, oh, it's just that. It's just really unpleasant. I have found just personally, sometimes that's really helpful. Unpleasant or pleasant or neutral. And we'll start to see that it's changing, it's transient contacts over and over, new one arising, passing away. Or maybe we'll notice wanting or liking in the mind and we can see the pleasantness of, of the thing that is conditioning that, the liking, enjoying, wanting. We're not trying to make that not happen. We say, oh, there's pleasant, oh, pleasant, liking, wanting, no problem. Maybe we notice that we're pulled to a fantasy in the mind. Anyone here ever notice a fantasy arising? One or two of you. I've had a few myself on occasion. We can see that there's there's a pleasant feeling to an image there or an idea. And we can see, oh, that's part of the attentional pull is that that pleasant feeling. It's not wrong or bad. We see, oh, that's, how, that's part of what's happening here. And it fuels it. Keeps, oh, I want another bit of that. I want, I want to feel it again.
There's a refrain in the Satipatthana Sutta, and one of my colleagues or I might come back to this. It's quite, um, it's, it's very rich. And it's, it's in the Sutta, I think it's in there 13 times. I'm sure that Andrea knows, but I won't bother her, destroy her samadhi by asking. But it ends each um, set of instructions. And it's kind of like um, how, we, how we contemplate these diff- the, the different aspects of the teaching of these um, establishments of mindfulness. Now I'll read part of it. This is the, the, the part having to do with feelings, being, meaning Vedana, feeling tone. One abides contemplating feelings in their nature of arising, in their nature of passing away, or in their nature of both arising and passing away. Or mindfulness that there is feeling is established simply in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. There is feeling. It's like there is a body. We can, the practice can always come back to that place of so, so simple. It's good to remember that. If we feel like we have a lot to do here, so no, all I have to know is there is feeling tone. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how, in regard to the feelings, one abides contemplating feelings as feelings. So this mindful recognition and this highlighting of its impermanent, transient nature, it is of the nature to arise, it is of the nature to pass away, it is of the nature to both arise and pass away. And it's not a persuading ourselves of that view, but looking and seeing, it's just doing it. It's doing it over and over. And it, it naturally... Just seeing this diminishes our tendency to grasp onto it or become identified with it. It's just, it's arising out of conditions. We start to see it really directly. And they're just part of this, they're an aspect of this passing show of changing phenomena. Leading us to become less attached to the pleasant ones and less fearful or reactive to the unpleasant. Sometimes we just meet unpleasant and it's just that. And it arises and passes and we can meet pleasant and it's just that. It's pleasant and we appreciate it. Let it in, enjoy it, delight in it even. But we don't fall into clinging and grasping when it fades away or despair. It doesn't have to have claw marks all over it. Someone said, everything I've ever let go of has claw marks all over it. Every pleasant feeling, no, no, no. <laughs> we get a taste of the possibility of a life led, lived in a place of wisdom and balance in regard to these things. We start to taste the spaciousness, freedom of heart. And it points towards the possibility of a deep kind of freedom It links this beautiful wish for happiness, contentment, ease with understandings that actually are leading us in the the direction where we might find those things. So I'll end with this uh, excerpt. This is from the Chula Tanha Sankhaya Sutta in uh, the Majjhima Nikaya. It has a nice circular 
in relationship to that um, refrain from the Satipatthana Sutta that I read. This is just part of that teaching. Whatever feeling one feels, whether painful or pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant, one abides contemplating impermanence in those feelings, contemplating fading away, contemplating cessation, contemplating relinquishment, contemplating thus one does not cling to anything in the world. When one does not cling, one is not agitated. When one is not agitated, one personally attains Nibbāna. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for your practice today. Great uh, appreciation, affection, and respect for you. So glad you're here and able to spend time this way. And uh, we have some time now for walking meditation, a little more than half an hour if you have the energy. Uh, please come for the chanting. I, I think we'll chant the Metta Sutta tonight. And I'll be inviting the devas to come and uh, practice with us on the Suposa today. So please be welcome if you'd like to come. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.